Daniel chapter 11 is a unique chapter in all the Bible. In fact, it has over a hundred different prophecies about what was coming future to Daniel's time and will lead us into an incredible prophecy about the coming Antichrist. More about that today on Walk in Truth. You're listening to the teachings of Pastor Michael Lance. It's our goal to build up believers and reach out with God's truth to all people. Now, here's Pastor Michael. Isaiah 49, look at verse three. And he said to me, Isaiah 49, three, you are my servant Israel, in whom I will show my glory. But I said, I have toiled in vain. I have spent my strength for nothing and vanity. Yet surely the justice due me is with the Lord and my reward with my God. And now says the Lord who formed me from the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him in order that Israel might be gathered to him. For I am honored in the sight of the Lord and my God is my strength. He says, it is too small a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the preserved ones of Israel. I will also make you a light of the nations so that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. Skip over to verse 14 of the same chapter. But Zion said, the Lord has forsaken me and the Lord has forgotten me. And here's the response of God to Israel. Can a woman forget her nursing child and have no compassion on the son of her womb. Even these may forget, but I will not forget you. Behold, I've inscribed you on the palms of my hands. Your walls are continually before me. The Lord has a special love for the nation of Israel. There are many verses that I could show you. That's one of many. And God in his sovereignty, if you turn to the book of Daniel, which is gonna be a little bit to your right, um, has chosen this little nation, this what's been called a sliver of land in the Middle East. The nation has blossomed again in some of our lifetimes. They've recaptured Jerusalem. I mentioned the moving of the U.S. Embassy to uh, Israel's eternal capital. And here we are now tonight in the book of Daniel looking at what we've talked about as a very prophetic book. It's a practical book, many practical lessons about how to live our lives, how to stand strong, but it's also a prophetic book. In Daniel 11:32, which has become a favorite Bible verse for some of you who are out there, it says these words, just to look ahead for a moment. And by smooth words, he will turn to godlessness those who act wickedly toward the covenant, Daniel 11:32, part B. But the people who know their God will display strength and take action, Daniel eleven thirty two. The people who know their God will display strength and take action. When you know God, there is a one-to-one -one correspondence between knowing God and taking action. The two are not mutually exclusive. In fact, they go hand in hand. To know God is to act. To know God is to desire to do his will. Jesus, who was in perfect communion with the Father, said, I always do those things that, remember, please my Father. To know God is to do God's will. To have spiritual gifts, Romans chapter 12, whether it's the gift of teaching, exhortation, mercy, 
uh, giving, etc., is to engage that gift. If you have a gift of exhortation, if you have a gift of teaching, if you have a gift of administration, if you have a gift of worship leading, if you have a gift of teaching children, whatever your gift may be, to know God is to act. Now, you don't act for salvation, you act because of salvation. In other words, what you do is always an outgrowth of who you know and who you are. And Daniel 11.32 depicts a group of people in history's past, in history past, who knew their God and took action. Namely, they were the Maccabeans, which is kind of in the intertestamental period between Malachi and Matthew. And some of you know about that period, but that's where the holiday Hanukkah comes from, and we'll get to that in a moment. But there's a modern application which I want to make to you tonight, and it is this, and this is something I've said to myself recently. I don't want my Christian life to be defined by where I sit in a church building or how much time I've preached from a pulpit. I do believe that the pulpit ministry that God has given to me is extremely important, but I don't want that to solely define my Christianity. You all know what I'm talking about? I don't want just sermons I hear or time I spend in a church building to define what I have done from the, for the Lord. Uh, there's a passage in the book of Acts where they're ministering to the Lord, fasting and praying, Acts 13. And as they minister to the Lord, it's not so much about them saying, Lord, we need, need this from you, we need that from you. As they are ministering to the Lord, another word for worship, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Saul and Barnabas for the work to which I have called them. When you are worshiping the Lord, when you're ministering to the Lord, when you're spending time with the one who bought you with a price, when you are saying to the Lord, when you've gotten through your laundry list and maybe you're tired of praying always about what you need from God, maybe it's time for us to switch our prayers a little bit. And instead of saying, Lord, I need this, I need this, I need this, how about we say, Lord, I wanna stand for you. How about we decide that it's time that we took some action? that we as the church got off of the bench collectively and got into the game. Everybody know what I'm talking about? There's a modern application to all of these verses that we see. Yes, a historical context that cannot be ignored. But when we look at these verses and when we do part B of chapter 11, we're gonna see that there's gonna be an end time scenario. There's gonna be a generation that's going to need to stand tall in the time of the Antichrist. But even now, should we not be that generation, we still need to stand tall. We still need to know our God and take action. The two go together. Can I ask you tonight, what are you doing with your faith? Are you saying, Lord, because I know you and because I have come to know the power of your resurrection and even the fellowship of your sufferings, I do want to live my faith. I simply don't want to be a person who just receives and hears sermon after sermon without doing something. I think that's what Pastor Chris was getting at when he spoke to us last time. And this is uh, part and parcel of what's before us. The people who know their God shall be strong and they shall carry out great exploits. Daniel lived approximately 620 B.C. to 530 B.C., but the predictions here are so incredible 
that liberal scholarship has to redate the book because they don't believe that the Bible is supernatural. So they cannot handle the fact that you have 135 prophecies fulfilled in 35 verses. How is that possible? It's only possible if the Bible is divine, if the Bible is from God. Here's what Jesus said, Matthew 24, 15. Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation, which was spoken through Daniel the prophet, standing in the holy place, let the reader understand. Jesus appealed to the book of Daniel. He said Daniel was a prophet. The liberal scholars want to tell you that Daniel was a liar. See, this is what's happening, folks. If Daniel did not write during his lifetime, when he is claiming to be there, when he's claiming to be the author of the book of Daniel, then the liberal scholars are no less saying that Daniel's a liar, and by extension, they're accusing Jesus of being a liar because Jesus said Daniel's a prophet. Do you, do you understand what I'm saying? This is what's going on in our world. There's even a battle for the Bible. Daniel 11, from a big picture standpoint, was written to prepare God's people, Israel, for two great crises to come, if you're a note taker. The first crisis would come at the hands of Antiochus Epiphanes, about 170 BC. This is the major painting with big strokes now. The second great crisis would come at the hands of a man we call the Antichrist. Daniel chapters, chapter 11, verses 1 through 35, get to Antiochus Epiphanes. I've mentioned him in the past. I'll talk about him a little bit more. The second great crisis is yet to our future at the hands of an Antichrist figure, which is Daniel 11:36 and into chapter 12. We've seen this before in the book of Daniel, sweeping prophecies from the time of Daniel to kingdoms that would be after him from Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, and Rome, going all the way to the return of Jesus Christ. For example, Daniel 2 in Nebuchadnezzar's dream, Daniel 7, which depicts the second coming of Jesus Christ, are two examples. So there's precedent in the book of Daniel for prophecy that's immediately in Daniel's lifetime, in the coming world powers moving down to Rome and all the way up through history back again in our calendars to the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. The rock made without hands that would smash the statue as we saw in Daniel chapter two. So this is a prophecy that will take us through much of world history. Here's the question that is before the people of God. How are we to be strong in whatever generation we find ourselves, whether you're a Daniel in Babylon, whether you're Hananiah or Mishael or Azariah in Babylon, whether you live, lived in first century Israel when Rome was dominating, whether you lived in the 500s or the 1000s or during the Crusades or during the Protestant Reformation or during the uh, early years of uh, American history or up until our time, the question is going to become, Simply this, did you know your God and did you take some action? Did you do what you could do in your lifetime? That's the question that I'm asking myself. That's the question I'm asking the church tonight. The people that know their God will take action. One purpose of prophecy outside of the fact that it shows that the Bible is divine is prophecy is for preparation. 
You'll hear more from Pastor Michael in a moment. But first... Is it proper for Christians to celebrate Christmas? The Christmas season can appear to be a conflict of messages, images, and sentiments. The Origins of Christmas DVD will address frequently asked questions such as, do we know Jesus' actual birth date? Did the early church celebrate the birthday of Jesus? Did Christians really steal Christmas from a pagan holiday? The Origins of Christmas DVD wraps up with a practical answer to one final question. Is it proper for Christians today to celebrate Christmas? And if so, how? Get your copy of the Origins of Christmas DVD today when you visit walkintruth.com. Now back to Pastor Michael Lance right here on Walk in Truth. Moving down to Rome and all the way up through history back again in our calendars to the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. The rock made without hands that would smash the statue as we saw in Daniel chapter 2. So this is a prophecy that will take us through much of world history. Here's the question that is before the people of God. How are we to be strong in whatever generation we find ourselves, whether you're a Daniel in Babylon, whether you're Hananiah or Mishael or Azariah in Babylon, whether you lived in first century Israel when Rome was dominating, whether you lived in the 500s or the 1000s or during the Crusades or during the Protestant Reformation or during the uh, early years of uh, American history or up until our time. The question is going to become simply this. Did you know your God And did you take some action? Did you do what you could do in your lifetime? That's the question that I'm asking myself. That's the question I'm asking the church tonight. The people that know their God will take action. One purpose of prophecy outside of the fact that it shows that the Bible is divine is prophecy is for preparation. You might want to write that down. Prophecy prepares the people of God. Jesus said, you know how to read the signs of the sky, but you don't know the signs of the times. You haven't read the writing that's on the wall. Predictive prophecy, Jesus said to the apostles in Matthew 24, behold, I've told you in advance. When you see the abomination of desolation spoken by Daniel the prophet, standing in the holy place, let the reader understand, then get out of the house, loose translation, Flee to the mountains. Don't go back and get your jacket because the days of vengeance are here. When you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, Luke 21, Jesus says, look, I've told you in advance. So the aspect of prophecy that I'd like to highlight tonight is it proves that God is God, no doubt, because God challenges the false gods. Tell us what's gonna happen in the future if you're a true God. We know that they're false, the idols are nothing. But there is something else, and maybe it's not something we think about. Prophecy is supposed to prepare you for the times in which you live. And if the people of Israel studied Daniel 11, who would live after Daniel's time, they would know exactly what was going to be happening all the way to the time of Antiochus Epiphanes. How would they know? Because there's 135 fulfilled prophecies in 35 verses. So if you began to study your Bible at this time, outside of the scrolls of Jeremiah, which Daniel did have, you would be able to see what was going on. And simply what was going on is what's always been going on, the conflict of the ages with Israel right at the center. 
So here is verse 1. <laughs> With all of that being preamble. And there was much more I could have said. But I don't want the snail to show up at my door. In the first year of Darius the Mede, I arose to be an encouragement and a protection for him. At the end of uh, chapter 10, the angel says to Daniel, do you understand, verse 20, why I came to you? But I shall now return and fight against the prince of Persia. We talked about that being a demonic power around the return of the captives to Israel released by the Persian king. So I'm going forth, and behold, the prince of Greece is about to come. However, I will tell you what is inscribed in the, in the writing of truth. Yet there is no one who stands firmly with me against these forces, except, would you notice, Michael, your prince. Now we know that's Michael the archangel. Michael's called your prince, or the prince of Israel. You have a prince of Greece at the end of verse 20, a prince of Persia in the middle of verse 20, and Michael, your prince, which some have identified as the restrainer, as we'll get into a little bit more of this as we study. But Michael, the archangel, has a special relationship with Israel. He is called Israel's prince, Michael, your prince. He will be mentioned in Daniel chapter 12 in verse 1. Take a peek. Now at that time, Michael, the great prince, Daniel 12, 1, who stands guard over the sons of your people, will arise. I'll describe that to you when we get there, what that means. But notice, Michael is mentioned again in relation to Israel as a great prince who stands guard over the sons of your people. Why was there spiritual warfare around Israel at this time and why has there been spiritual warfare throughout history? We've talked about how the Messiah was coming from Israel. That's obviously a very important reason. But we talked about we're at the end of the 70-year captivity and some of the people of Israel are returning back to the land to attempt to what? To rebuild the city and the temple. And so the Persian leader or the king would be responsible for releasing the captives back. And remember, as they went back, there was a week showing only about 50,000 Jews returned to the land. If you're with us for that study, and they, uh, the peoples of the land were subverting their work and uh, going against them and so forth. They needed strength and encouragement. And so when verse one says, I arose to be an encouragement and protection for him, it would seem that this angel is working in tandem with Michael around Darius the Mede, uh, many believe that that Cyrus, the Persian right there, could be interchangeable titles there. But I arose to be an encouragement and a protection for him. Now that's the first year of Darius the Mede. If you go back to uh, chapter 10, verse 1, it says, in the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that, many believe that's the same person, just different titles given to him. A message was revealed to Daniel, and we talked about how this was all around the return of the captives to uh, back to the Holy Land. And so that's what's going on. That's the, the, um, the spiritual warfare around those. I had to go help Michael is the idea. Two years before the degree was, decree was given for the people to return to the land, Michael was involved in this. And Darius the first did lift the restrictions that had been placed on the rebuilding of the temple. He told them to proceed, and so that's what we have going on. 
I'm going to give you a time note as we move into verse 2. Chapter 11, Daniel, verse 2. We have an overview of history leading to the first crisis. Now, don't be afraid. Time-wise, we won't go into all the details. We're going to kind of fly over this a little bit, but I'm going to give you a few examples here. But here, in verses 2 through 20, we have a period of 355 years. You can safely jot this down. Moving from 530 B.C., to 175 BC. Verses two through 20 cover 530 BC to 175 BC or from Cyrus to Antiochus Epiphanes, okay? That's what we're dealing with, verses two through 20. And now I will tell you the truth. Behold, three more kings are going to arise in Persia. First, we're gonna look at some Persian kings. Then a fourth will gain far more riches than all of them as soon as he becomes strong through his riches, he will arouse the whole empire against the realm of Greece. Now, I tell you the truth, this is prophecy. Three more kings are noted in your Bible going to arise in Persia. There are yet future to this moment that Daniel is living. And so they are future kings. This is part of the prophecy that's going on. And as soon as uh, he becomes, the fourth becomes strong through his riches, he will rouse the whole empire against the realm of Greece. So you can see the, the prophecies begin in rapid fire. Now, who are these three more kings? Well, secular history tells us who they were. Cam, Cam, Cambyses was the son of Cyrus. Uh, he was the first. Then there was a second named Pseudo-Smerdis. He reigned in 522 B.C., he was a phony, but he looked like his brother, so some believe that he was the genuine article. And then there was Darius Hystaspes. If, you, uh, if any of you have the uh, MacArthur Study Bible and you want to work through the details of this, he's done a good job laying out the history. Those were the three kings moving from this time to 486 B.C. But the fourth king is the focus of verse 2. Then there will be a fourth who will gain far more riches than all of them. And the fourth king is Ahasuerus, or he's known as Xerxes. Now, if you put your thinking cap on for a second, you might remember that Xerxes, or Ahasuerus, is the king at the time of the book of Esther. And he has incredible riches. In fact, the book of Esther opens up with him giving a world's fair that I think lasted some six months. And what Persian kings would do is they would invite uh, people around, the bigwigs and so forth. And in this case, they would do something to show off their wealth and their power. Well, the book of Esther opens this way and the king of that time is a king named Xerxes. He has a six-month world's fair to display, display his incredible wealth. He is the fourth king mentioned in this verse in Daniel. And so he, remember, deposed Queen Vashti, if you are a VeggieTale fan, because she wouldn't make him a sandwich. Um, that's not actually what happened, as far as we know. But she would not display her beauty in front of his buddies. And some believe that he wanted her to be lewd in front of them in some respect. She refused, Queen Vashti refused, she was deposed, and there was a search for a new queen. And the queen that arose in that time was a woman named Esther. And Esther became a savior figure, if you will, of her people 
because at that time, a plot was hatched by a man named Haman. Or you may know him if you lived in the 70s as, hey, man. <laughs> but anyway, so, <laughs> so Haman hatched this plot, and he got the king to sign a decree to eliminate the people of Israel, right? And he uh, was mad at Mordecai, the uncle of Esther, and he wanted to hang him on the gallows. But the gallows that he made to hang uh, Mordecai became his own death instrument, and he was hung on the gallows. But his plot was to destroy the people of Israel, and Esther had to make a decision. And Uncle Mordecai said, if you don't stand, God will bring deliverance for the Jews in some other way or through somebody else but perhaps you've come into the kingdom for such a time as this. Is it proper for Christians to celebrate Christmas? The Christmas season can appear to be a conflict of messages, images, and sentiments. The Origins of Christmas DVD will address frequently asked questions such as, do we know Jesus' actual birth date? Did the early church celebrate the birthday of Jesus? Did Christians really steal Christmas from a pagan holiday? The Origins of Christmas DVD wraps up with a practical answer to one final question. Is it proper for Christians today to celebrate Christmas? And if so, how? Get your copy of the Origins of Christmas DVD today when you visit walkintruth.com. Thanks for listening to Walk in Truth, encouraging you to reach out with God's truth to all people. Pastor Michael would love to hear from you. You can write him when you visit walkintruth.com.